0: The following is a production of the Truth Exchange podcast and is made possible through the financial contributions of listeners and friends like you. If you'd like more information about this series, The State of Our Disunion, or how you can financially partner with us today, please visit us at truthexchange.com. Hello, I'm Steve Shavura, and I'm absolutely honored to be speaking at the 2021 Truth Exchange State of Our Disunion Conference. My talk is called The Great Awakening. In the 1730s in America, there was an incredible revival that swept the country. It was essentially a revival of Calvinistic theology that took hold of the minds of hundreds of thousands throughout America, even millions, and had a massive impact on the country in the long term. This, of course, I don't need to tell you, was called the Great Awakening. And the Great Awakening was essentially a a gospel movement which radiated out and changed the rest of society. In his 1840 History of the Great Awakening, Joseph Tracy wrote about the the wonder that people at the time who were touched by this revival felt uh, about uh, what quote, they said was the discovery that we are morally worse than we ever supposed. Uh, Others uh, said that, quote, we discovered that we are much deeper in guilt than we ever suspected. Now, in this great awakening, according to its historian, Joseph Tracy, the fruits of it were twofold. That is holiness and joy. Holiness and joy. And interestingly, again, this great awakening did not just change the hearts of so many Americans and lead to the building of hundreds of new churches over the course of the 1730s and onwards, but it had an outward effect on the rest of society. And Joseph Tracy uh, describes it like this. He says, quote, the history of the great awakening is the history of this idea, this idea of guilt and sin and redemption. Overturning theories and habits and forms of organization inconsistent with it, where it could prevail, working itself gradually clear in the minds of those who received it, and leading to habits of thought and practical arrangements in harmony with itself. End quote. In other words, you know, according to Day, uh, uh, Joseph Tracy and other historians of the Great Awakening, the Great Awakening a gospel movement had an outward secular effect. And historians say that the great awakening uh, had two major secular effects. Uh, One of them was to generate a greater democratic spirit among the people. And another was to generate a greater sense of national unity and nationalism, both of which would feed into the American independence movement later in the 18th century. I want to suggest that Right now in the history of the West and particularly in America, we're going through something equally radical. And it's something that we can call a great awakening. Um, what do I mean by an awakening? Well, many of you would have heard of this term wokeness or to be woke. Uh, essentially to be woke is uh, an African American slang term for sort of being awake, to be woke. Uh, to be awake to what? Or to be awake to all sorts of forms of oppression in particular of African-Americans but also more broadly as the term is used all sorts of oppression against racial minorities gender uh, gender minorities uh, sexuality minorities and things like that this great awakening, which I'm going to explain throughout the course of this talk is most obviously evident in really two things that have happened recently. Uh, Number one, the Black Lives Matter protests and riot, and the whole Black Lives Matter movement, particularly as it's uh, manifested in 2020. That's an embodiment of wokeness, but also more recently in the Equality Act that uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats recently passed in the House on the 25th of February, actually. I want to unpack this as we go along. But what do we mean by wokeness? What does wokeness mean? What does it mean to be woke? Well, here's what I think is a pretty helpful definition. To be woke or wokeness is the belief that our culture as a whole is constructed by white heterosexual men for the purpose of oppressing racial and sexual minorities as well as women resulting in white heterosexual male privilege and that we must also uncover all the hidden oppression or microaggressions in our thoughts, assumptions, language and practices and fight to overthrow the white male heterosexual culture and replace it with a new culture, which is truly diverse racially and sexually. And in many ways the embodiment of that idea is Black Lives Matter and more recently the Equality Act. Now, where will we find wokeness? Where is it? Well, I would say it's, in, it's principally in five different places. Uh, first, we'll find it certainly in schools uh, and universities and colleges. So for example, over the last 30 years, uh, curricula in schools and colleges has gradually shifted towards emphasizing in history, in social studies, in literature, Uh, emphasizing how certain people in society are oppressed. So certainly racial minorities, uh, women, and also uh, more recently sexual minorities, members of the LGBT communities. And so education has more and more become an emphasis on how society is oppressive, who are those who are oppressed, uh, who are the oppressors, and what can we do to try to overthrow all this oppression and bring about true diversity and tolerance. Um, you know, An example of this in the colleges is quite recently, in fact, on the 27th of February, a student at one of the State University of New York campuses was suspended for publicly saying that uh, there are only two genders. And that sort of thing is happening all over the place. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but certainly this is something that is affecting the educational sphere. Uh, Second, it's most certainly something that's affecting language and thought. Uh, So for example, in Australia, uh, the the Australian National University uh, recently produced a gender inclusive handbook. And so lecturers and professors at the Australian National University are encouraged to say, rather than breastfeeding, to say chest feeding. And rather than say mother to say gestational parent uh, well why well because they for men who uh, want to be considered oh, sorry for women who are bearing children for biological women who are bearing children but they identify as men they don't want to be referred to as a mother because they identify as a father and so rather than use the term mother you use the term gestational parent uh, the same thing for Uh, replacing breastfeeding for chest feeding. Biological women who identify as men and yet still give milk to their children uh, don't want to be seen as breastfeeding because men aren't meant to have breasts so we just call it chest feeding. The point is that we change language to suit the woke idea that gender is not binary and in fact some people don't correspond to any particular gender Uh, gender at all. And all of this, according to the handbook and according to the Australian National University, was to, quote, improve gender equity and inclusiveness in our society. Uh, Furthermore, it was a Uh, a guide developed by expert researchers to assist anyone committed to enhancing inclusiveness and diversity. So a good sign that you're sort of in the presence of wokeness is when you hear terms like diversity, inclusiveness, and increasingly now sort of equity. Um, Hence, again, uh, the Democrats' Equality Act uh, so that's one way that it's sort of affecting language. Of course, you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, proposed gender neutral language for the rules of the House of Representatives. And there are so many other examples of how it affects language. Uh, I'll talk about language a little bit more as we go along. Certainly, wokeness is three uh, starting to permeate workplaces. You know, most obviously recently there was the um, um, knowledge of uh, race sensitivity workshops taking place place at Coca-Cola where white people in these race sensitivity workshops were said to be less white. And what did they mean by be less white? Well, they were essentially uh, referring to uh, ideas from Robin DiAngelo in her book, White Fragility. And to be less white uh, essentially meant to be less arrogant, Um, uh, be basically less racist, to be white uh, in in, um, wokeness is essentially by definition to be racist. And what these race sensitivity workshops basically teach is that if you are white, then you are a racist and you need to figure out exactly everything you do that is racist. If you are not white, then you are a victim of racism, whether you think so or not. And in fact, if you protest the idea that you're a racist, that just proves uh, even more that you're a racist. Uh, fourth, we're going to find wokeness in entertainment. Uh, most obviously, we found it over the last 20 years, over the last 10 years especially, in you know, things like Netflix and, and Walt Disney. Uh, so for example, Disney over the last sort of 10 years has gradually been trying to destabilize and discredit in the minds of children, ideas such as there are only two genders, that gender is determined by biological sex, and that heterosexuality is the only legitimate form of human sexual relations. Uh, Disney has been trying to destabilize that, and you'll find messages to this effect uh, in films like Out uh, from 2020, Onward from 2020, other movies like The High School musical films, Andy Mack, The Lodge, the 2017 version of Beauty and the Beast and Star Wars versus the forces of evil. So it's well and truly in entertainment and it's well and truly in the media and in the news. You'll certainly find it in all of that. And finally, you're most certainly going to find it in government and the legislature. And the most obvious example of this is the Equality Act, uh, passed in the House on the 25th of February. Uh, Peter Jones, Dr. Peter Jones, has a fantastic article on this. I suggest you read it. But essentially what the Equality Act does is it basically outlaws any discrimination against people who might identify as a sex that does not correspond to their biological sex. And what that essentially means is that uh, restrooms, um, prisons, uh, juvenile detention centers, uh, hospital rooms, uh, shelters, rape crisis, and domestic violence centers uh, cannot discriminate against someone coming into them who claims to identify as a sex that does not match their actual biology. Now what this is actually going to here's the thing guys this is actually really important. This equality act is absolute landmine of of legal of legal avenues taken against the church and it's going to be something that is going to over time if it succeeds and if it finds its way uh, into institutions and into uh, laws throughout the states, which it will if it succeeds, it is essentially going to wind up with the bankrupting or shutting down of all sorts of Christian institutions like Christian schools and colleges, charities, adoption agencies, Christian ministries, they'll be bankrupted, they'll be declared extremist organizations if they affirm what Genesis teaches that God created man and woman. And so this Equality Act is actually an incredibly obvious way in which wokeness is being wielded by the state to force conformity on everyone else. And I'm telling you right now, if the government continues to go down this path, then This generation will see Christians in prison for standing up for the principles of biblical Christianity when it comes to gender and sexuality. It's absolutely going to happen. Uh, and, And so the Equality Act is in some ways the greatest embodiment of wokeness and the danger of wokeness that I can even think of at the moment. The thing about wokeness is, wokeness in many ways imitates the very Protestant, evangelical, Calvinistic Christianity that so shaped American culture up until quite recently. Um, So for example, in wokeness, there's a strong emphasis on something like repentance and conviction of sin. So in wokeness, rather than sort of being convicted of sin, that is straying from God's will and plan for us, uh, wokeness talks about being convic- people being convicted of their racism or their homophobia or their transphobia or their misogyny, and once you are convicted of this, of these sins, if you like, you start seeing them everywhere in yourself and you start seeing them everywhere else. So wokeism really uh, captures this idea that we are kind of vitiated. Uh, or totally depraved, except they redefine sin in terms of those phobias that I just mentioned. Uh, Another way that wokeism resembles the religion that is declining in America is that it's very evangelistic as well. Uh, Once you discover how homophobic, how oppressive, how transphobic and sexist and and racist you are, uh, you need to tell other people about how systemically Uh, oppressive society is you need to make converts to wokeism and you need to spread the word. You need to spread it from university theaters. You need to spread it uh, in the workplace. It's very evangelistic. It seeks to uh, proselytize and convert people to wokeness. Thirdly, wokeness is eschatological or it kind of has this idea of trying to bring about a kind of utopia, a sort of utopia of diversity and equity. This was most explosively seen in the CHAZ zone in Seattle during the Black Lives Matter riots and protests in 2020, where about six blocks in Seattle were effectively declared autonomous and police weren't allowed to go in there. And they tried to bring about a kind of uh, diversity utopia there. It didn't end very well. You can look into that. But again, another uh, attempt to sort of bring about this sort of eschaton, this diversity and inclusive utopia is this Equalities Act um, being pushed by Biden and the Democrats. And so wokeism and wokeness is very much a utopian movement. And utopian movements pretty much always end in destruction and sorrow. And finally, wokeism like so many historical religions is persecutory. So central to wokeism is the idea that anyone who says anything dissenting from wokeness must be publicly demonized and their careers and reputations must be destroyed. There is no forgiveness in wokeness. I'll get back to that a little bit later. A uh, Great uh, recent example of the, of the persecutory nature of wokeness is Gina Carano. Uh, Gina Carano, the former star of the hit uh, Disney Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. She doesn't have a job anymore. Well, actually now she's gone and she's working for the Daily Wire, good on them. Uh, Her agency has dropped her. Uh, She was someone who tweeted some non-woke thoughts and basically Disney uh, utterly um, um, ended her contract. And that is something that um, is going to be occurring much, much more. Now, there is a philosophy behind wokeness. Uh, it's the philosophy behind the Black Lives Matter movement. It's much of the philosophy behind the Equality Act. And, and this philosophy is known as critical theory. Now, Dr. Peter Jones is, going to, is giving a whole talk at this, in this conference on cultural Marxism and critical theory. So I'm not going to talk about it for very long, but certainly critical theory is the kind of intellectual scaffolding of wokeness. Uh, critical theory usually appears in two forms. You've got the Marxist form of critical theory, which was really uh, popular in the 1960s and 70s. And then in the 1980s, it started to morph into a second kind of critical theory, postmodern critical theory. Although I must say, postmodernism and postmodern critical theory certainly does have. Um, a connection with Marxism. But Marxist critical theory, and critical theory in general basically asks, in what ways are people being oppressed in modern society? In what ways are women being oppressed? Uh, People in the LGBT communities being oppressed, racial and cultural minorities, how are they being oppressed? And critical theory tries to uncover all the ways these people are being oppressed. In the classical Marxist form of critical theory. The emphasis was on the economy and how the economy and capitalism oppresses uh, people in society, particularly uh, racial minorities through keeping wages low for them. And also women in terms of um, keeping a marriage culture strong Uh, uh, according to Marxist uh, marriage and the nuclear family are a great way to create workers for the future. And it sort of traps women into the role of childbearing. And so Again, Marxist critical theory basically saw uh, women and racial minorities as oppressed, emphasizing capitalism as the cause. This kind of morphs into postmodern critical theory in the 80s and particularly the 90s onwards. And postmodern critical theory focuses less on capitalism and focuses more on how truth claims and language oppress people. And in some ways, the Whereas the, the Marxist critical theory uh, focused very heavily on, on race and gender. Um, and all of that is very much a part of Black Lives Matter. Uh, postmodern critical theory uh, focuses heavily on the body, sexuality, also on gender. And, and this is also very much embodied in Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter was never just a movement about racism. It was also about sexuality and gender as well. Again, it is, a, it, it is essentially a movement trying to um, uh, further this great awakening that we're talking about. Uh, sort of the, the godfather of postmodern critical theory in some ways would be Michel Foucault. Uh, Michel Foucault uh, had a tremendous influence on an American uh, philosopher whose name was Judith Butler. And she basically um, really uh, um, generated the, sort of the intellectual transgender movement, which we're seeing sort of all around us today. And postmodern critical theory says that language and truth claims are very dangerous. Now, this is very important. This is the reason why so much wokeness is incredibly suspicious, even hostile, of freedom of speech. Freedom of speech you know, enshrined in the First Amendment uh, is part of American identity. But wokeness is very suspicious of free speech because remember, wokeness thinks that one of the best forms of oppressing people is through the words that we use, language. For example, how do we oppress uh, people in the transgender community who might not Um, identify with any particular gender. Well, for example, we talk about ladies and gentlemen. We talk about, we use pronouns him, her, we don't have other pronouns. And that kind of forces people into a particular identity that suits uh, the majority who want to be the most legitimate form of sexual gender identity. And it sort of excludes everyone else. So language, according to postmodern critical theory, can be quite dangerous, but it can also be quite liberating as well. And that's why, according to much wokeness, what you want to do is try to control language, change language. And this brings us to freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is quite dangerous in wokeness because think about it, free speech is by definition unpredictable speech. If you allow people to speak freely, then you're essentially allowing for the possibility that people can openly reject the idea that Gender is just something that you feel rather than something linked to your biology. Uh, it allows people just to say male or female. It allows people to utter thoughts that essentially undermine uh, the philosophy of wokeness. And this is all, according to uh, woke people, oppressive. And so what you need to do is control language and the way you control language is by, punish, is by trying to punish people who don't conform to woke language. And so again, what you do is you, have, you might have a cancel culture where people who might use the wrong terminology, uh, refer for example to Caitlyn Jenner as he or as a man, uh, they can be publicly demonized, their careers destroyed and things like that. So free speech is incredibly dangerous to wokeism because wokeism, according to postmodern critical theory, sees language and truth claims as potentially very, very oppressive. And so you need to control language to make sure that oppressive thoughts don't spill out into oppressive statements. So wokeness and freedom of speech cannot coexist, which is why freedom of speech is so under attack uh, in the Great Awakening. Essentially what the Great Awakening is, is the breaking out from university campuses and and college campuses of these critical theory ideas them sort of breaking out and spilling out into um, the popular mind of America as a whole. Essentially what the Great Awakening is, is the transformation of America and the transformation of, of, of of parts of the West into just a giant woke American campus. And in a sense, that's what the Black Lives Matter protests and riots were all about. And that's what the Equality Act is about. That's what uh, Black Lives Matter is about. I wanna now talk about why this great awakening is now upon us. Like, why is it here? Why now? I think there are three reasons why the great awakening is here and why it's be proven to be so popular and so attractive to so many people. And the first is that America and the West especially is going through a kind of meaning void, uh, particularly since the decline of Christianity, of public Christianity over the last 60 to 70 years. Um, you know something, John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion said, Since from the beginning of the world, there has been no region, no uh, no region, no city, in short, no household that could do without religion." End quote. Uh, A great historian of religion and culture, Christopher Dawson, who held a chair for a while at Harvard, he wrote this, quote, "'Religion is the key of history. "'We cannot understand the inner form of a society unless we understand its religion." End quote. The Apostle Paul in Romans you know, verse three, uh, chapter three, verses 18 to 25, uh, he kind of speaks about this, how human beings know that there is a God, and yet they reject this knowledge of God. They refuse to acknowledge God and His Godness and they exchange the truth of God. But of course, you never exchange one thing for nothing. And they exchange the truth of God, not for nothing, but for a lie that is for the worship of creation. And so according to the Apostle Paul, just because people might reject knowledge of the one true God, does not mean that they actually reject religion or that they reject meaning. They seize onto other things to worship. They seize onto other movements that can bring meaning to their lives. And I think that's very much what's happening today. And Dr. Peter Jones has written several books on this, on sort of the rising paganism, the rising Gnosticism in the modern West. An excellent book also is Stephen D. Smith's Pagans and Christians in the City. But speaking in terms of this meaning void that's come along, there are some very interesting stats from the Pew Forum that they put out in 2019. And I was quite surprised to read these stats. For example, uh, as of 2019, 65% of Americans identify as Christian, only 65%. 49% of millennials identify as Christian. So not even half of millennials identify as Christian of millennials say that they have no religion. Interestingly, only 4% of Americans identify as atheists, which again means that just because people are moving away from historic Christianity does not mean that they latch on to atheism. Again, as the Apostle Paul says, they latch on to other gods. They make things up. A good example of that is sort of the 1960s cultural revolution where historians say Christianity uh, at the popular level started most rapidly to decline. And it'd be a mistake to say that in the 1960s people who sort of increasingly walked away from historic Christianity sort of gravitated to nothingness. Many of them gravitated to alternative religions, alternative spiritualities, Eastern mysticism, all of this sort of morphed into the new age movement, which kind of still survives in uh, movements around yoga and mindfulness and things like that. Uh, Also other people abandoned maybe uh, the transcendental religions like Christianity and embraced more imminent secular ideological religions, if you like, particularly like Marxism in the 1960s and 70s. Um, So in in many ways, wokeness, I, I think this is maybe the key to understanding why wokeness is upon us. Just like in the 19th and 20th centuries when intellectuals abandoned historic Christianity, they didn't, many of them didn't just go to sort of nihilism and nothingness. What they actually embraced to replace their Christianity was an ideology, a new ideology, which was in many ways very much like Christianity, Marxism. So in the 19th and 20th centuries, as intellectuals de-Christianized, many of them adopted Marxism. And why wouldn't you? Because Marxism was the most familiar thing to Christianity going at the time. It It had its own creation, fall, redemption narrative. Everything's going great in history, in Marxism, until you have the fall, the introduction of private property. And then history becomes a history of class struggle, but have no fear because a Messiah will come, the working class, and the working class will rise up and bring about a day of judgment the revolution and after this day of judgment after this revolution and um, uh, the, the sinners are separated from the saints then you have an eternal period of peace communism and so it's not a surprise that as intellectuals abandoned their Christianity they grabbed onto something that was the next most familiar thing and I think that's exactly what's happening in America and around the west as Christianity uh, continues to decline, they're grabbing onto something that in so many ways actually resembles Christianity. I mean, to go back to this um, this question of sin in wokeness, uh, Robin D'Angelo in her book, White Fragility, says the following, she says, I know that because I was socialized as white in a racism-based society, I have a racist worldview deep racial bias, racist patterns, and investments in the racist system that has elevated me. Uh, There are other elements of wokeness that again resembles the Christianity that is sadly on the decline. So for example, Ibram X. Kendi, in his book, another textbook of wokeness, how to be an anti-racist, he writes the following, and it really resembles the kind of narratives we'd get out of the, the great awakening of the 18th century. He says, racism is like fighting an addiction. Being an anti-racist requires persistent self-awareness, constant self-criticism and regular self-examination. The same sorts of ideas that were so influential in American culture from the Puritan heritage. Robin DiAngelo in White Fragility says, overcoming racism, quote, is a messy lifelong process, but one that is necessary to align my professed values with my real actions. And she goes on to say, it is also deeply compelling and transformative," end quote. So it's almost like a conversion experience. Wokeness is being grabbed onto by millennials in a culture where Christianity is declining in the same way that intellectuals did that with Marxism. So the meaning void is one reason that wokeness is upon us. Now, the second element of, woke-ism, of, of, of the Great Awakening is that one of the reason it's so appealing is because it exploits genuine social problems that are really there. In a sense, there's a little bit of truth in wokeness suggesting that there are really big problems among uh, African-American communities and also among LGBT communities, but it sort of takes certain truths and runs with them in a really um, dishonest, disingenuous, and exploitative direction Uh, leading to more heat than light in debate and not really offering any particularly compelling uh, solutions to anything. So for example, there is no doubt, there is no doubt that there are serious problems in many African-American communities relating to poverty, um, crime, drug use. And the same thing goes for many LGBT communities relating to serious mental health issues. The problem with wokeism is that it takes these genuine problems and then seeks to explain them by using uh, uh, terms like systemic racism or systemic homophobia or systemic transphobia. Let's just focus on this term systemic racism. I mean, systemic racism. Um, Robin DiAngelo sort of, again in White Fragility, she, she says, our institutions were designed to reproduce racial inequality and they do so with efficiency. Now, Robin D'Angelo says that our institutions were designed to perpetuate racism and they still perpetuate racism. You know, if Robin D'Angelo was writing that, say 200 years ago, 100 years ago, even 70 years ago, I could say, yeah, you know, there's a lot of truth in that, sure. But she's writing this a couple of years ago. Robin D'Angelo and Wokeism, when it talks about systemic racism and systemic oppression, it talks about systems, or the system, as though it's something that is the same now as it was 200 years ago. There's almost an obliviousness in wokeism to the fact that many people of color and people of minority sexualities are now guiding and making rules for all sorts of systems. You find them among politicians, judges, academics, doctors, lawyers, Of course, America has recently had uh, an African-American president. It currently has a vice president who is a person of color and Barack Obama was elected twice as well. Um, And so this idea that the system is sort of systemically racist is at best very, very vague, at worst actually quite misleading. And that is a real problem in terms of the credibility of wokeness because it tends to, again, as I've been saying, it it takes something like serious disparities between uh, African-Americans and non-African-Americans, but then explains them by just saying racism. And that is a tantalizingly simple explanation, but when you actually go to the granular level and look at economic disparities, and you look at other things like fatherlessness, uh, in African-American communities, then you realize that the causes of many disparities actually come down to things like less, less, less than race, less racism and more things like poverty fatherlessness and s- certain other factors as well. And the same goes for LGBT issues. For example, yeah, there are serious mental health issues among members of LD, LB, LBGT communities. And Wokeness says, well, this is because of homophobia and transphobia, but what about the fact that peer reviewed research for years has been saying that there are abnormally high rates of childhood sexual abuse among members of the LGBT community, that among the transgender community, there are abnormally high rates of, other, of, of different forms of mental illness, uh, that there are abnormally high rates of intimate partner violence, within LGBT communities. Uh, What about the fact that scholars talk about what's called the Dutch paradox, where if the idea is that homophobia and transphobia, particularly homophobia, causes poor mental health outcomes among homosexuals, that would kind of mean that the less homophobia there is, the better mental health outcomes you'd get. But then scholars look to the Netherlands, and the Netherlands is one of the most LGBT affirming regions in the world. They were, they were years ahead of everyone else when it came to things like same-sex marriage and, and gay rights. And yet the stats of mental health of LGBT folk in the Netherlands uh, doesn't really differ, uh, isn't any different from the same stats in other uh, modernized Western countries. And so the idea that homophobia is the cause of all of this, which is central to wokeism as well, that's a really dubious claim, um, but nonetheless, um, wokeism is popular because it picks on things that are genuine problems that everyone uh, is concerned about, but then offers very simplistic solutions. Third, why is the great awakening upon us? Because critical theory, um, wokeness, if you like, has basically captured the culture forming institutions of society Uh, many of them, and it is looking to capture the last culture-forming institution of society, the family. But think of the universities. Universities are sort of maybe that sort of the culture-forming institution of society par excellence. For example, from universities, you get future professors, you get future teachers, you get future screenwriters, you get future journalists, lawyers, judges, politicians, all of these people go on to shape culture. If you capture the universities, then you, cap, you have captured the most important culture sh- and mind-shaping institution in any country. And then you go on to perpetuate these ideas over generations. And so they're the three reasons why the great Awakening is upon us. I wanna suggest that the great Awakening and, and wokeness is a tremendous danger to the church and that it's something that the church should resist. The Great Awakening, to go back to the 18th century, was a gospel event that transformed the wider world. It transformed the secular society around it, if you like. The Great Awakening is a secular event or maybe a post-Christian, some might say a neo-pagan event outside of the church that is threatening to transform the church. And that is a serious problem because certainly wokeness is creeping into the churches. And so the church has to be a fortress free from the hatred, the self-righteousness, the lies and half truths, and the division, increasing, increasingly shaping society, which is to a large extent owing to wokeness and the great awakening. Why must Christians reject wokeness? Well I want to suggest three reasons for that. Uh, First, the foundations, the theoretical foundations of wokeness are false and they're false in many ways. Uh, For example, wokeness tends to have a very simplistic reading of history where you have heroes and you have villains. essentially the villains are white heterosexual males. And basically, according to wokeness, they're really the only ones capable of oppression. And so history is a history of oppression by white people, white males in particular, white heterosexual males against everyone else. But anyone who's read any history knows that throughout history, all cultures, all races, All people groups oppress one another and have oppression within them. Oppression is just a part of the human condition because we are vitiated by sin as taught in the Bible. And that's actually a gospel issue, to be honest, because the more wokeness takes hold of the popular imagination, the more we're going to find people who find the idea that they are sinful, as opposed to someone else being sinful, or or as just opposed to institutions being sinful the more wokeness with its emphasis that this kind, these people can be oppressive and sinful, but these people are purely just victims, the more that takes hold, the gospel message that we are all sinful, that you are sinful, whether you're white or black, male or female, straight or gay, that you are sinful, that you have fallen short of the glory of God and require a savior, just like anyone else. The more that is going to be an incredibly foreign and, dare I say it, even offensive and hostile message. And so the progress of wokeness is something that humanly speaking is quite, is quite detrimental to uh, the spread of the gospel message. Also, uh, another foundation of wokeness that's really, really problematic um, is that um, secondly, uh, it rejects Christian anthropology. So, wokeness rejects uh, certain truths that are taught in Scripture, particularly that sex, uh, that, that, that gender is determined by sex, and that God created male and female, and He only created male and female, notwithstanding certain very rare aberrations, people born with ambiguous genitalia, and things like that. So, it certainly uh, discourages a biblical anthropology. Of sex, of sex and it certainly uh, discourages a biblical anthropology of sexuality that is that the only legitimate form of sex is between male and female in marriage and so again some very serious uh, problems with wokeness in terms of it's it contradicting a biblical understanding of what it is to be a human being and uh, and and biblical uh, understandings of, of of gender and sexuality. Uh, third, I want to say the church ought to reject wokeness because the fruits of wokeness can only be oppression, misery, and never-ending conflict. And there are several reasons for this, um, but certainly, let's let's go back to the Great Awakening. Uh, sent, sort of one of the two of the fruits of the Great Awakening. Again, as I pointed out earlier in uh, Joseph Tracy's 1840 history of the Great Awakening, two of the fruits were holiness and joy, holiness and joy. Um, The Great Awakening, certainly as it has evolved over the last five years, has not been producing holiness and joy. It's been producing conflict, um, hatred, violence, and I would actually say probably increasing uh, mental health problems as well. Uh, you'll find that written about eloquently in Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt's book, The Coddling of the American Mind. But the great Awakening must lead to increased conflict. Why? Because the great Awakening has a, has a vision of conflict resolution, which is thoroughly at odds with that revealed to us in the Bible and through the example of Christ himself. That is, it's a version of conflict resolution that has, nothing to, that has no place for forgiveness. In wokeness, there is no forgiveness. If you are found to have said something in the past that is deemed homophobic or transphobic, then your reputation must absolutely be destroyed. Uh, your reputation must be demonized. Your career must be destroyed. Even if you repent, even if you say sorry, that's just not good enough. Uh, wokeness demands perfection it demands perfection uh, there is no forgiveness in it and therefore it gives rise to a kind of cancel culture and so wokeness will only lead to people being utterly afraid to speak their minds on things and uh, certainly to a culture of oppression and conflict and that's certainly something that the church doesn't want to bring into its own uh, its own fold another aspect of of, of of wokeness that we really want to avoid is this sense in wokeness that the only people who can say anything meaningful or intelligible about impression are people who are not white heterosexual males Uh, there's a kind of power dynamic in wokeness that again is only going to lead to conflict resentment and as we've seen in the Black Lives Matter movement of the 2020, I would say actually violence. A good example of this incredible power imbalance in wokeness, again, is in Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility. And this is what Robin DiAngelo has to say about her own race sensitivity classes that she gives in workplaces all around America. She says the following. She says, when a person of color gives me feedback that I consider unfair, I'm tempted to go to another person of color for reassurance that I'm a good person. Further, my quest for reassurance holds up racism by reinforcing the very idea that the feedback was an unfair attack and or there was a correct way to give it and the person of color in question has broken the rules of engagement, end quote. So essentially what Robin DiAngelo is saying is that if a person of color calls you a racist, you have no right to respond. You have no right to suggest that they may have misunderstood you In fact, the more you protest against the accusation of being a racist, the more racist you are. What that kind of means also is that anyone who accuses someone else of racism is by definition right. They're correct. They can't be wrong. Now think about that. According to wokeness, a minority who is considered a victim and oppressed in wokeness cannot be wrong about their feelings that other people are oppressing them. And those who are being said to oppress them, white heterosexual men and to a lesser extent, women, they cannot be right in saying that in actual fact, no, I'm not trying to oppress you at all or I'm not oppressing you, I'm not a racist, I'm not a homophobe or whatever. They can't be right. Think about the incredible power that that gives to uh, the, sort of the, the oppressed in the great Awakening. It basically gives them unlimited power to accuse other people of crimes with absolute impunity. Remember what Lord Acton said in the 19th century, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And wokeness gives absolute power of accusation to people of racial minorities or cultural minorities or sexual minorities as well. And that is not going to lead to a harmonious workplace. It's not going to lead to a harmonious high school. I mean, can you imagine in any school uh, minority groups having an absolute power to accuse other people of oppressing them and the other people having no right to reply? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's a good power to give to children? It is not going to lead to a harmonious society. It's going to lead to conflict. It is going to lead to violence. It's going to lead to resentment. And that's precisely what is unfolding in America and in other parts of the West. And so there are reasons why we want to be very careful about encouraging wokeness out there and certainly to be very vigilant to make sure it doesn't creep into our churches and certainly into our own minds. What is the way forward? Well, certainly with the Equality Act recently passed in the House, Christians really need to themselves wake up. Uh, Christians need to see that this is the very kind of totalitarianism that people like Francis Schaeffer in the 60s, 70s and 80s were predicting was going to come out of secular humanism. And in fact, it's the very totalitarianism that critical theorists like say Herbert Marcuse in the 1960s uh, were saying that we want to introduce into the West in order to dismantle Christianity and dismantle Christian notions of identity, sexuality and other things like that. So it's here, it's upon us. It's no longer a theory, and this isn't fear-mongering, it's here, and the Equality Act is going to lead to individuals being put in prison for speaking their minds, for raising their children uh, uh, according to biblical truths. It's going to shut down churches, it's going to shut down colleges, and you're going to have Christians, like I said earlier, they're going to be in prison in our generation. Uh, So the Great Awakening, is certainly something that we need to be fighting. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to be activists. We need first and foremost to understand what's going on. And I hope that I've contributed something to that, but we need to support organizations that are exposing this and that are fighting back. You need to join um, activist groups. You need to join lobby groups. You need to support Christian organizations that are educating people about this. You need to get political as well. You need to support political candidates and parties that are against all this wokeness. We need to resist. But secondly, another way of thinking about this in terms of moving forward, is that like all deviations from biblical ethics and anthropology, like all deviations from how God tells us we ought to think about ourselves, how we ought to think about one another, how we ought to think about God, like all deviations from how God tells us we ought to behave morally, The great awakening must end in misery and conflict. And of course, we're seeing that already. It must so end because the way that God has told us to think about him, to think about one another and to live is actually really good for us. It's good for us as individuals because it's in accordance with the nature that he's given us. And it's good for the long-term happiness of society. Obey these laws. You will live long in the land. And so what this kind of means is that as the great awakening progresses, that society must actually regress. That is society must get darker, that conflict, hate, tyranny, and mental health issues must get increasingly worse. There's actually a pretty good quote on this from a very good book that, ex- that critiques the theoretical underpinnings of wokeness and it's Cynical Theories uh, by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay. And they say that if we train young people to read insult, hostility and prejudice into every interaction, they may increasingly see the world as hostile to them and fail to thrive in it. In other words, the great awakening is something that is going to lead to the immiserization of the rising generation, certainly of millennials, uh, who latch on to its ideas of oppression, of conflict. Um, it is certainly something that Christians ought to resist, not just because it's untrue, but because we are commanded to love our neighbour. And we would never want a philosophy and a movement like the Great Awakening, which is so pernicious to People's salvation and to their earthly well being, we would never want it to spread more than it has at already at the moment. We have to resist it. But importantly, in this is that the church must resist it. The church must resist it. And in this, in fact, I'm reminded of a promise that the Lord gives us in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 uh, to 16, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. and praise your father in heaven. Let your light shine before men. That is precisely what the church will do if it resists the the movement of wokeness in it. The church, if, if wokeness continues in the wider society, that will only lead to the wider society getting darker and darker which means that the church, if it resists the great awakening, if it resists critical theory, that it will only appear brighter and brighter to those who are searching for truth and to those who are searching for purity. You know, that's exactly what happened in the first century. Roman civilization was in one of its most degraded states in its history. Human life meant nothing. Uh, sexual perversity was everywhere. And yet Christians come onto the scene valuing human life, looking after the poor, looking after the weak, showing restraint, showing integrity. And that was so attractive to people who were searching for something else. They were searching for purity. They were searching for hope. What they were searching for was the Lord Jesus. They were searching for salvation. They were searching for what would reconcile them with the God that they had cast off. And the church, the early church was the closest thing to Jesus to them at that time and of course the early church expanded and expanded and the same thing happened also in the 18th century with the evangelical revivals around Europe, uh, in Britain and of course in America with the Great Awakening. The same thing happened then and the same thing can happen now but it can only happen if the church resists the darkness that is the Great Awakening and allows itself to be that light that shines. So when people see our good deeds, they give praise to the Father in heaven. And so it is imperative for us to understand this great awakening and to resist this great awakening. And if we do these things effectively, then this great awakening it'll pass. And who knows, maybe God willing, we'll bring about a whole new great awakening. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you.